Thanks, Bria. We want to focus on those verses this morning, in particular that one verse, Isaiah 9, 6, and see what God has to say through it to us this morning in this Christmas season. Uh, as we've mentioned earlier this morning, this verse has four names for Jesus in it, and we're going to take a look this holiday season to see what those names mean, to see what they tell us about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. This is a prophecy of Isaiah, of course, from Isaiah chapter 9, and he is foretelling future events in these verses that concern the people of Israel. And the immediate historical context of this prophecy of Isaiah has to do with the nation of Israel, because they had been struggling mightily as a nation. Not because their economy was bad or because they lacked jobs or anything like that, but instead they had been struggling spiritually. They had wandered away from the true God and they had embraced idols and as such had also embraced all of the detestable practices that were associated with the worship of those idols. They had gone into the tank, spiritually speaking. So as a result of all that, God was in the process of delivering Israel over to her enemies, the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a ruthless superpower of the ancient world. They were known for their barbarism, and they would eventually capture and destroy Israel and take those survivors into captivity for a period of decades. And so in light of all that, God gives them here in chapter 9 a glimmer of hope through the prophet Isaiah. He tells them that there will be a coming king who will deliver them from all of their troubles and he will meet all of their needs. And so what the first few verses of Isaiah 9 are is, in effect, a birth announcement. It's telling us about the birth of this coming king. Now, when we think of birth announcements, we don't usually think of them as coming before the birth of the child, but after the birth of the child. A lot of you who are a part of our prayer chain know that just on Thanksgiving Day, the Secords had their fourth child, a young daughter named Teresa, and once the child was born, they sent out an email to all of us as a church, their community, their friends and their family, Teresa has been born, right? You give a birth announcement after someone has been born. But in this case, Isaiah is foretelling the birth of a coming king, and he's actually doing so about 700 years before that king is going to be born. And the reason for the earliness, the reason he gives the birth announcement so early, is because he's in the midst of a people who need hope. He's in the midst of a nation of people who have, again, gone in the tank spiritually, and they need something to set their eyes on. They're about to be carried off into captivity. Lord, what is there for us now? And so God inspires Isaiah. He gives him this prophecy that will tell about this future king who will come to rule justly and righteously, whose kingdom will be characterized by peace and justice. And it will be an eternal kingdom that will address and fulfill every need that God's people have. And Isaiah shows us just exactly how God will address their needs by telling us this future king's names in verse 6. Again, we've said them earlier, but they are wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Now, most children, when they are born, are given a couple of different names. One name is already given just by the, the nature of the child's parents, the surname, right? And the parents get to decide the baby's first name and middle name. But the point is that names are given to children usually because they carry some kind of personal significance to the parents, 
For instance, I have the same middle name as my grandfather. Uh, My oldest, James, has his grandfather's first name for his middle name. Our daughter, Hannah, has her middle name. Her middle name is the same as her mother's middle name, her grandmother's middle name, and her great-grandmother's middle name. And our youngest, of course, has the same first name as my father, and his middle name is the same as as his grandfather. I know that sounds kind of convoluted, but... There's significance to the names that we give our children. And that's true of these names that we find for Jesus in Isaiah 9-6 as well. But there's more significance to the names of this child than just, you know, a familial significance. Instead, what these names in Isaiah 9-6 tell us about Jesus, they tell us something about this king's destiny, what this baby will do when he is born and when he grows and when he lives. They tell us something about the kind of person he will be. And that's another difference between the names of this coming Messiah and the names that we typically give our children. Imagine if you uh, heard about a baby who was named excellent baseball player, right? And their parents, the baby's parents just said, you know, we really want our child to be really good at baseball, so we're going to name him excellent baseball player. You'd think, well, that's a little presumptuous. There is nothing that's going to guarantee you that that child is going to be an excellent baseball player. You certainly can't know something about the child to that extent. You don't know what the child's going to do, what he's going to like or appreciate, what sports he's going to play, any of those kinds of things. Or think of a baby named future CEO of a major corporation. I mean, that would just be ridiculous. You can't predict a child's destiny by the name given to him or her. That's why birth announcements don't list a baby's accomplishments, because there aren't any yet. Unless, I suppose, you could name the baby exquisite drooler because that's one of the very few things you can predict about a person as a baby, maybe at least for a couple of years. That would be an unfortunate name as an adult, though, I would think. But these names in Isaiah 9-6 are different. These names tell us about this child's destiny, the role that he's going to play in human history. Over the course of this Christmas season, we're going to be looking at these names and unpacking them to see what they tell us. And we're going to start this morning with the name Wonderful Counselor. Now let's take this name just one word at a time here. There are two words that make up this name, wonderful and counselor. So let's think about the word wonderful. What is something that is wonderful? Something glorious, right? Something lovely, something joy-inducing. If you get a Christmas gift this Christmas that is exactly what you wanted, maybe it's exactly what you needed, you might say that it is a wonderful gift. And that's very much the idea of what Isaiah is trying to convey here, that this child, he will be glorious, he will be lovely, he will bring joy. But at the same time, it goes much deeper than that. Because in Hebrew, that word translated wonderful in Isaiah 9-6 is as close as the Hebrew language gets to something like our word for supernatural In other words, something that's beyond human comprehension. It goes beyond what we can conceive or understand. It's not part of the natural world. It is supernatural. Let me give you an example of what I mean here by this word wonderful. There's a time in the book of Judges. You can actually, if you want to, turn to Judges chapter 13 if you have your Bible open. Judges chapter 13, verse 17, it tells us about a time in the the cycle of the judges before the birth of Samson, when Samson's parents are visited by the angel of the Lord, and that angel tells Samson's parents, you're going to have a baby, and he will be Samson, and he's going to judge the people of Israel. 
And at one point, Samson's father, his name was Manoah, he says this to the angel. This is in Judges 13, verse 17. He says, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, the angel of the Lord isn't saying that he's got just a really great name. You know, why do you want to know my name? It's really, really cool. It's a really great name. That, that's not what he means. Instead, the angel is saying that his name is beyond the comprehension of Samson's parents. His name is not natural. It is supernatural. And that's what Isaiah means when he calls Jesus the wonderful counselor. It's not saying that this counselor will be wonderful in the sense of a perfect Christmas gift, but that he will be a counselor that is out of this world, that is supernatural, that is unlike anything you have ever seen or heard about before. The kind of counselor that that Jesus is, is not something you will find in any human or anywhere here on earth. It is otherworldly and supernatural. So when Isaiah says that this will be a wonderful counselor, he doesn't mean wonderful in the sense that we usually think about it, but supernatural, otherworldly wisdom. And that's where we get to the word counselor. What is a counselor? A counselor is a person who shares advice or wisdom. And unfortunately, I think, our modern conception of a counselor or counseline is that counseling is for people who have problems, right? People who have problems in their lives need to see a counselor. So there's something of a social stigma attached to the idea of counseling, as though it were a sign of weakness. But friends, nothing could be further from the truth, because we all have problems, we all have questions, we all have situations in our lives where we don't know what to do or how to deal with. And in those situations, it would be beneficial and good for us to have counseling, to have advice and wisdom as to how to address those issues. And now Isaiah says that Jesus is a counselor. He's an advisor. He has wisdom to give. But remember, he's not just any counselor, right? He is a wonderful counselor, which we just said Isaiah means, means uh, supernatural, otherworldly. So that's where the name counselor, wonderful counselor, is pointing us to. But what is it that makes Jesus such a supernatural advisor, such an extraordinary source of wisdom, such a wonderful counselor? To get the answer to that question, again, you could turn in your Bibles if you like. We go to Luke chapter 11, verse 31. Luke chapter 11, verse 31. Jesus is speaking to some people here, and he's telling them about just exactly who he is and what he has come to do in Luke chapter 11, verse 31. This is what he says. It's kind of a cryptic, odd thing to say, but this really gives us a picture of Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Luke 11, verse 31, he says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now again, that seems like an obscure reference to tell us what kind of a wonderful counselor Jesus is, but you have to remember the story of Solomon. Do you remember the story of Solomon? Solomon was David's son, and he became the third king of Israel after David died. And God appeared to Solomon, and he said to him, I will give you anything that you want. Do you remember what Solomon asked for? 
He asked for wisdom, right? And because he asked for wisdom, God then also blessed him with power and with wealth and all kinds of other things. And in fact, Jesus says in Luke 11.31, he says that Solomon became so wise that royalty from other lands, other nations, would travel to Israel for no other reason than just to hear Solomon wax philosophical, right? To hear his wisdom. That's why they came to Israel, to hear Solomon. And there's even a book in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, that preserves for us the wisdom that Solomon was given by God. So Solomon was considered the wisest man to have ever lived, the greatest counselor that anyone could ever hope to have. And what does Jesus say at the end of Luke eleven thirty one? He says, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. In other words, everyone thinks that Solomon was the wisest, the greatest, the most wonderful counselor, but something, or someone rather, greater than Solomon is here. And of course, Jesus is referring to himself. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Solomon was wise. Jesus is wiser. Solomon was a great counselor. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. But what credentials does Jesus have that would make him such a great counselor, even better than Solomon? Well, Jesus is the wonderful counselor because he is God, and as God, he is the source of all wisdom. Remember, when, where did Solomon get his wisdom? God appeared to Solomon and said, you know, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, Lord, please give me wisdom. Solomon's wisdom had to come from somewhere and it came from God because God is the source of wisdom. And Jesus is God. Jesus is the source of wisdom. Jesus is the wonderful counselor because he possesses all wisdom. He doesn't have to get it from somewhere else. He already has it by his very nature. A few weeks ago, our car, one of our cars was acting up, and the temperature gauge wasn't working properly, and there was a very loud sound of a fan that was kind of blowing all the time, and I didn't know what it was, so I brought it into the garage to be looked at. And later that day, they sent me an email that kind of explained what they found. They ran some tests, of course. They found the problems, and they explained it all to me, and they said the engine... The engine coolant monitor had gone bad. That's why the temperature gauge had gone all wonky and there was a fan that was constantly blowing because the car thought that it was overheating because that monitor had gone crazy. So it was doing all these things. And to fix the problem, they said, all you have to do, all we need to do is replace the engine coolant monitor in a little wire, uh, which they, of course, did at the cost of an arm and a leg. And then everything went back to normal in my car. And now my kids are getting an engine coolant monitor for Christmas with that, the cost of that repair. But here's the point. I had no idea what was going on in that car, but the mechanic gave me some of his wisdom so that I could understand what the problem was. I didn't have that knowledge. It had to be given to me by someone who already possessed it. And moreover, the mechanic presumably possesses all knowledge about my car. Oh, everything there is to know about my car, at least. His knowledge isn't limited to the engine coolant monitor. He has as much knowledge about my car as someone could have. Now, Solomon was wise, the wisest man to have ever lived. But the wisdom that he had wasn't his. It was given to him by someone else, by Jesus. 
And this is one of the reasons that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's not just wise. He is the source of all wisdom. He doesn't just know a lot of stuff about things. He is the source of all knowledge in the universe. There is no subject that he does not know, no answer of which he is ignorant, no topic over which he does not possess complete mastery. In Colossians chapter 1, familiar verses, verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, or all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the source of everything in the universe. And as such, he possesses all knowledge and all wisdom. There can be no more a wonderful counselor than he, because he is God. That is what makes him the wonderful counselor. But there's actually a second and more personal reason why Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Because, you know, as the source of all wisdom, Jesus could have stayed locked up in an ivory tower, so to speak, basking in all of his wisdom and his knowledge, looking down on the poor peons below as they struggle and suffer. He could have done that. He would have been well within his rights to do that. But he didn't. Instead, he came down to live as one of his own creation. And of course, this is why we celebrate Christmas. God has become man. The infinite has become finite. The timeless one became in a body subject to the aging process and so on. All of these other conundrums. And as a man, Jesus was exposed to everything we have been exposed to. He suffered in every way that we have or will suffer. He's been tempted and tried in every way that we have been tempted and tried. You know what? In other words, he knows what it's like to be you. We often say that in order to understand somebody, first you have to walk a mile in their shoes, right? Well, you know what? That's not true of Jesus. He didn't need to walk a mile in our shoes in order to understand us. Again, he created us. He understands us perfectly well. He doesn't need to walk a mile in our shoes. But he did anyway, so that he could identify with us in our weakness, so that he could identify with us in our questioning and our doubts and our hurts and our pains so that we could come to him in our time of need, because he has been exactly where we are. Think of someone in your life that you consider to be wise. Maybe somebody you go to for advice or to to talk through your, your issues in life. Why do you go to that person? Isn't it precisely because of their life experience? Because they have been through a lot of things. They've been around the block a few times, as we usually say. We go to people for advice who have been down the same roads that we've been down, to people who have experienced hardship and to get their wisdom to help us through their hard times. And this is what Jesus did when he became a man, and this is why he is the the wonderful counselor, because he has been where you are. He has suffered. He has been in need. He has experienced heartbreak. He has been hungry, sick, in pain, and lonely, and everything else that's part of the human condition. Who could give you better counsel than the one who not only possesses all wisdom, but has also been down the exact same road you're going down right now? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says that we do not have a high priest 
that is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Where are you right now? You know what? Wherever it is, Jesus has already been there. And you know what else? He's come out the other side of where you are right now. He knows how to get through it. More than that, he knows how to get through it without sin, which is something that each of us, I know, still struggles with. How can we get through it like Jesus? By going to our wonderful counselor for help, for wisdom, and for knowledge. And how do we access this wonderful counselor's wisdom and knowledge? How do we receive this supernatural counsel from Jesus? Through his word. And by putting it into practice according to the power that we receive from his spirit living inside of us. By being sensitive to that spirit's leading. To knowing how, to know how the spirit works through our conscience and through our thinking. So that we can listen to him and respond to him as he leads us in those difficult situations. So go to the Lord's word to find his wisdom. Find him in prayer. Find him uh, as you study the word with other people. Listen as the spirit leads you in one way or another. Because Jesus has been there. And again, I think we have to remember that Isaiah 9-6, this verse where we get these names, is a prophecy given to the people of Israel. And remember, they're being led off into captivity by the Assyrians, one of the most brutal and barbaric people, people groups on the face of the earth at that time. So what does it mean to them? As they're sitting there staring down the barrel of captivity and military defeat, what does it mean to them when Isaiah comes and says, for unto us a son is given, and a child is born, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor? What do Isaiah's readers think when they hear those words? Well, they had been struggling with the sin of idolatry. And that's why they were in the position they were in. They had gone so far away from God through idolatry that God said, enough. I've had enough of this. And he brought the Assyrians in to conquer them. And they had refused to repent of their sin and idolatry time after time after time. They had turned away from the the true God in favor of trinkets and good luck charms made out of wood and stone. They were lost. They had no spiritual idea which way was up. They were drowning in their own sin. And so here comes Isaiah and says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, this king who is coming. How would the Wonderful Counselor advise them? He would tell them, and he has told them through Isaiah, turn from your sin, find rescue in me. Sin is going to kill you. It's going to destroy you, but you need not suffer under it. Turn from your sin. Put your trust in me. Follow my commands that lead to life. Listen, sin destroys. It never builds up. The fact that Israel was facing destruction by the Assyrians was a symbol of that reality. Their sin of idolatry was destroying them, and the Assyrians would bring that destruction. But the wonderful counselor counsels them, it doesn't have to be that way. Turn from your sin and find life. And in our situation, the wonderful counselor counsels us the same way. Turn from your sin and find life. Believe in me, follow my commands that lead to life. But the Israelites in Isaiah's time would not listen. So they were overtaken by the Assyrians and carted off into captivity. 
But because God is merciful and kind, he would restore them. He would redeem them from their oppressors. And even then, Israel would need the wonderful counselor to guide them in how to heal, how to recover, how to be obedient. So the, answer, the question is, what is the wonderful counselor saying to you? Perhaps like Israel, he's telling you to turn from your sin and to turn to him and find life. Maybe your sin has come to define your life as Israel's sin did, and you feel as though you've been carried off into captivity, cut off from God. Don't fear. The wonderful counselor knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to feel cut off from God. Although he never sinned himself, he had your sin placed upon him when he died on the cross, and he paid the penalty that you deserve. And you know what he said on the cross? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what it feels like to feel cut off from God. He's been down that road. And so now he counsels you to repent, to turn from your sin, to trust in him for salvation. Or maybe you're so tired from walking the road you've been on and you feel like you can't take it anymore. The wonderful counselor comes to you and says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Where do you need wisdom? Jesus, the wonderful counselor, will share his supernatural wisdom with you through his word, through his spirit, if you ask him and if you trust him. And this Christmas season, we come to him to do that. We remember his coming, the coming of the supernatural wisdom of God in human form. And we rejoice that he has come to lead us and guide us by it. And he still, even today, offers to give us that guidance. Let's trust him for it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you gave us a glimpse of heaven one that we would not have otherwise had. Lord, you have shown us the Father. You have shown us his will. You have shown us his righteousness through your perfect obedience to the law. Lord, you have given us your spirit to guide us and to help us, to even give us words to say in some circumstances. Lord, we ask for your wonderful supernatural counsel today. God, I pray especially for those who have been lost in sin, for those who do not know you as Savior. Lord, that you would give them your supernatural counsel to turn from their sin and find life in you. God, I also pray for those who are struggling with something difficult, even today, some question, some situation, some circumstance where the answer isn't evidently clear. Lord, speak to them through your word. Give them the guidance that you have to give. So Lord, they might make a decision, that they might make a choice that reflects your will and ultimately honors you. God, help us to see your will. Give us your wonderful wisdom through the Son. God, bless us now today as we go from here and as we seek to follow you and learn more about you and know you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.